Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. And today, I'm, uh, I'm talking about a film that I'm not gonna lie, I, I do not care for. Um, you guys know that I love watching cheesy movies, I love watching bad movies and stuff like that, but even, even this one is, it's it, it it's difficult for for me to to uh to get through. It's easier for me to watch the um original Japanese version uh than it is the English dub. The English dub is atrocious. That's that's about the only word that I know to uh to describe it. So yeah, um, this is one of those films like I do not have nostalgia on my side. Uh, whenever watching this movie, like I had had no exposure to this movie whatsoever. I had very little exposure to the Gamera films at all. Um, whenever I was a kid and I did not really jump into the Gamera franchise until, you know, I was grown. And so seeing a lot of these movies that are geared towards children and that I've, you know, like, I just, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to get through. Like, you know, uh, more power to anyone who grew up with these movies and, uh, you know, you love them and you have very fond memories of them. I did not. And so I'm just coming in and watching them as, you know, as an adult with no nostalgia on my side or anything like that. And it can, they can be pretty rough. And this one is definitely one of the rougher entries in the Gamera franchise, and the film that I'm talking about is Gamera vs. Zegra that came out in 1971. So, okay, let's, uh, this, this episode's gonna be pretty short because I could find almost nothing about it online. Like, I watched numerous, uh, YouTube videos, but whenever I would watch the videos, they were mostly just reviews of guys, uh, you know, this is what their thoughts on the movie was. I couldn't find hardly anything on production and everything that I'm going to say, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked and looked and looked and I couldn't hardly find anything, but, um, I have found out this, this isn't related to this movie, but, um, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know that there are a number of films that I've done where I was like, I couldn't hardly find anything, um, you know, it was just, <laughs> like, it's hard to uh, find stuff and all of that. But I have started finding out that there are numerous books and things like that published on, like, the history of certain movies and or certain time periods of movies that have a good deal of information on some of the films that I couldn't really find a lot of information on. So there are some films that eventually I'm going to revisit and I'm going to title them something like uh, this one, for example. If um, if I find a book or something like that that has way more information in it that I was unaware of or that I could not find and I've only found it in that book, I will credit the book. And then I would just simply title the episode Gamera vs. Zegra 1971 Revisited or something like that. So there might be an, uh, a few films that I will be revisiting in the future mainly some of the uh, Showa-era Godzilla and Gamera films. But all of that out of the way, let's uh, go on ahead and jump straight into the movie, which I'm going to give a little bit of production stuff that I was able to find, 
but a lot of this is just simply going to be a review and what my thoughts were on the film and like just the the lame brain decisions that were made plot wise and and all of that uh with this movie so all right let's jump right into it so this is the seventh film in the Gamera franchise, which uh, you diehard fans know that of the Showa era, there are only eight entries in the Gamera franchise whenever it comes to just talking about the Showa era, which means I'm coming to very close to ending the Showa era films for Gamera, and I will do with Gamera like I did for Godzilla, like the rise and fall of Godzilla um, of the Showa era. I will do something very, very similar to that with Gamera, but that's still, you know, a few weeks away. But anywho, this was the seventh film in the franchise, and it had a 35 million yen budget. Like, the previous film, Gamera vs. Jiger, it had a 35 million dollar or uh, yen budget, and it didn't do super great, <laughs> like, you know, um, it just seemed like, you know, you guys know pretty much uh, the history of Gamera by now with all of the films that I've done. The first film was a massive hit, and it seems like every single time a new film would come out, they would slash the budget, slash the budget, slash the budget. And then it got to the point to where they were slashing the budget so much that then they were starting to tell the crew that, well, whenever you build the miniature sets for the movie and all that, you're not allowed to destroy anything of the miniature sets because we need to use those sets again for the next one if it gets greenlit. So this film pretty much continued the trend of slashing budgets and not allowing the crew or directors to do certain things that they wanted to do and all of that. And part of the main reason for that is because Daye, who is the company that does uh, the Gamera films in the same vein that Toho does Godzilla films, Daye was in financial trouble. It was, it was in big financial trouble and it was on the verge of bankruptcy. And they greenlit this film anyway, despite being in such financial trouble, because, you know, say what you will about the Gamera films for someone like me that comes in and are watching these films for the first time only, you know, a couple of years ago after I'm well into my 30s or late 20s or something like that. The target audience for these films were children. And they were doing pretty well with children. Like, Gamera had become immensely popular with children. The only problem is, is that the films were so terrible and so geared towards children that it, it was it was difficult for the parents to really want to bring their kids to see the movies. But also during this time period, keep in mind that television in Japan was really starting to kick off and get popular and all of that. So attendance at movie theaters was already going pretty low. Because there were there was an ample amount of things on TV that the kids could watch and all of that. But despite all of that, Daye greenlit the film anyway. Now, the film takes place primarily at SeaWorld. Now, you know, at the time, nobody really knew a lot of the stuff that was coming out about SeaWorld or anything. Like the controversies surrounding SeaWorld and, you know... 
Like, <laughs> SeaWorld was very much viewed as, like, a happy place back then. But uh, nowadays, you, you mention SeaWorld, and a lot of people just kind of, they kind of cringe because of the animal cruelty and things like that that has gone down at SeaWorld. Um, for those of you that don't know any of, like, the big details about SeaWorld or anything, uh, I was recommended to watch a documentary by my friend Kid Kong, who has guested on this podcast a number of times, and it's on Hulu, and it's called Blackfish. And it's pretty much a documentary about the treatment, of, mainly the treatment of the orcas, a number of orcas that were done at SeaWorld and all of that. And if you, once, once you watch that documentary, you'll pretty much be like, SeaWorld is, is dead to me. <laughs> like, it, it sheds some light on uh, the treatment of the orcas and not just the orcas, but some of the other animals and all of that. But the main focus of the documentary is the orcas. So again, it's on Hulu and it's called Blackfish. So go check that out if you guys want to see a, uh, a documentary about the horrible treatment of animals at the hands of SeaWorld because it's, it's an eye-opener. But anywho, so this film takes place at SeaWorld. <clears throat> now, I was unable to find if SeaWorld shelled out any money to Daie to be featured in this film or anything, because it's not just simply that this film took place at SeaWorld. Like, there's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to it, you know, later on, but there's an entire chase scene that takes place throughout the SeaWorld facility and all of that, almost as if, like, they were, they were doing their best, like they were using that scene specifically to show off the facility and what all was there and all of that kind of stuff. There's a decent amount of footage of uh, some of the animals performing and stuff like that. So I don't know if this was just part of, like, a marketing campaign for SeaWorld and they shelled out some money to Daie, like, hey, come do your next movie at our facility. We'll pay you whatever amount and, um, you know, just to try and get people to come to, uh, to SeaWorld and all of that. Well, if they were banking on this movie being super, super successful and, uh, you know, drawing people to SeaWorld, they, they were massively mistaken because this film was not successful, um, really at all. Now, the opening of the film made this film seem pretty promising to me and, Whenever I say the opening of the film, I'm talking about the moon attack because you get a little bit of, um, you know, narration and all of that. And then you see a spaceship flying in. There's a decent amount of little destruction and all of that that happens and all that. Uh, the production doesn't look terrible. The miniature sets look pretty great. And you're sitting there like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to like, I'm going to get to see some decent little, uh, destruction and stuff like that in this movie. We, we, we don't really see any of that again for a good while into the movie. I believe, like, uh, Gamera and Zegra don't even have even so much as, like, a face-off until well over half an hour into the film. And it's, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of, you know, just setting up the plot for what all is going to happen later on, and you don't get much of a payoff at all. But 
the opening of the film seemed very, very promising. And basically, the spaceship is from the planet Zegra. That's a real, you know, creative there. That the the planet is called Zegra. The kaiju is called Zegra. I don't know if their entire race is called Zegra or what. But, you know, that, that'd be the same thing as like, you know, us basically like, oh, we're from the planet Earth. Well, what's your name? Earth. <laughs> you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole, whole lot of sense. But now Zegra, I'm not going to lie. Zegra is, um, it's a decent looking suit. I couldn't find hardly anything about, uh, the making of the suit or anything like that, but it's a decent looking suit. It resembles a goblin shark. And I thought, you know, it's one of the, one of the very few highlights that I can actually talk about with the film is that I thought the Zegra suit looked pretty good mainly whenever it was in its shark form because it can it goes in between sea form and land form depending on where the battle is going to be but you don't actually get to see any type of like transformation or anything like that whenever it happens it's just kind of like okay he's in the water and he looks like a shark and then they come up out of the water and he just kind of stands up on his his fins and now he has legs all of a sudden and I much prefer the C version because it just simply, of course, um, I don't know if I've ever really expressed this to you guys or not, but I love sea monsters. Like, just, you know, I like kaiju, don't get me wrong, like, I love kaiju, but I consider sea monsters to be an entirely separate genre of film or books or media or whatever. And I just, I love sea monsters. I love looking at artwork and reading short stories and books and watching movies about just giant sea creatures and all of that. Uh, everybody knows um, The Meg, starring Jason Statham, that I believe is just a butchering of one of my favorite book series of all time. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. And then there's there's the another book series called Kronos Rising that is written by Ma uh, Max Hawthorne. Like, that's a very good series and all of that. Um... In the Jurassic World franchise, the Mosasaurus is, like, it's a crime that they did not focus more on the Mosasaurus because that was a very cool creature. I would have loved to have seen more, like, underwater stuff dealing with the Mosasaurus and why they decided to give it, you know, throughout the entire trilogy, the Mosasaurus probably has, you know, I'll be generous and say one minute of screen time throughout the entire uh, trilogy, but... Yeah, I just, I love sea monsters, so seeing Zegra just simply in its shark form, like, I like that a whole lot more than his land form, because I do believe that his land form looks somewhat ridiculous. Now, in the movie, one of the, like, facepalm moments of the movie, for me, is the character of Woman X. Yes, that that is that is what she is called. Um, I don't know what you guys have decided to call her. I've seen various YouTube videos where they just simply called her uh, Zegra Girl or Zegra Woman or <laughs> you know Alien Girl or something like that. But um, officially, from what I could find, she is called Woman X, and she is played by Eiko Yanami. I believe that's how you pronounce her first name. And very lovely person. I think she's beautiful. 
but the character that they they made woman x they could not have made her more incompetent if if they tried like you know like whenever she first whenever she first shows up which you know this is supposed to be like this big twist and everything like that to where like she was uh she was on the moon during the initial attack at the beginning of the film and she pretty much gets brought aboard the spaceship and she's under mind control and all of that big surprise there right mind control in a uh Japanese kaiju film but she's under mind control and uh by the aliens which big surprise there right aliens in a kaiju film uh done in in Japan but um like she is just uh, I don't know like to the the part of me that loves like bad cheesy movies loves her and her character the part of me that just wants to watch a good movie and enjoy myself despises her character because and it's nothing against the actress it's really not but it's just the way they went or went about portraying her like it's it's almost as if like whenever there are times like there are multiple times she's trying to chase the children to catch the children the main children in this uh in this film and it's borderline like you know looney tune stuff with how they hide from her and she just she can't find them and and all of that and it's like holy mackerel girl like you know and the chase scene that I was talking about earlier where it's um she's chasing the children because they get away which they, okay let's let's talk about this real quick first of all they get inside the um they abduct the children and their parents into the spaceship and she's going around this whole thing talking about how she wants them to go out and like show the world like what they're capable of doing and their technology and all of that kind of stuff and but then at the same time you know you're like you could just show them yourself like you you're aliens you're in a spaceship you can create these massive earthquakes and all of that kind of stuff like you don't need a messenger to to show what you're capable of doing it it makes zero sense but anywho so the whole the whole ordeal the whole thing that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me is that she's basically saying we brought you here we willingly abducted you and brought you here so that you guys can go out and show the world what we are capable of doing then we have a ridiculous little chase scene where you would swear that the the girl cannot go faster than you know if there's your favorite item is on the grocery shelf and someone else is going for it and you have to try and get there before them like you know like she she goes very very slow um and uh apparently if they just stop this spinny thing from spinning that it just automatically freezes her but anywho that was that was a pretty uh cartoonish uh chasing but whenever they get out then she gets unfrozen by Zegra, and Zegra pretty much orders her, you are going to go out and find these children and kill them. And the reason he wants them to die is because he says that they know too much about this ship, and they know our secrets. What? What? What effing secrets, like, are, are you talking about? You, you, willing, you willingly brought them there, showed them 
the ship and the things that you could do, told them you wanted them to go out and spread the word about their technology and what they were capable of. And then whenever they leave, they say, they know too much. We have to kill them. It just, it made, it made, it made zero sense. Like, I, I, like whoever wrote the, the script for this was, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, I just, I don't know what they were thinking, but, um, anywho, so she, she comes down, um, from the spaceship and she's in her little, uh, alien garb and all of that. And she needs, she needs another disguise, which let's put, let's be honest here. This scene was put in strictly for eye candy. Like, okay, we know the parents are, are suffering because of this film and all of that from having to drag their kids to come see it. We're going to put something in there for the dads, you know, or something like that. And so... Um, the very first thing that she decides to do, oh, well, this is, um, the costume or this is the disguise that I'm choosing. She just comes across some girls that are wearing bikinis and she puts them to sleep and then takes their bikini. And then we have her in just a few, you know, like maybe a minute, minute and a half of her in a bikini, which she's very fit, you know, and all that, like it, it was strictly eye candy. For them to do that. And then like a minute and a half later, it's like she up and decides, eh, you know, this isn't really the, the best disguise or anything. So she finds some other random girl and puts her to sleep and then takes her clothes. And now she's just dressed normal. And it just makes you sit there like other than obviously for eye candy. It's like, why even put that in the movie? Like, you know, like it, it was a pointless little transition to do like, oh, I need a disguise. I'm a hot girl. Let me get put in this bikini. Oh, well, never mind. This isn't really, you know, practical. Let me, let me take this, these regular clothes. Like, you know, it was just like, I, I know what you were trying to do, Daye. Like you're, you're not fooling anybody. Like you were, you, you were doing that strictly to, to make people go, Ooh, ah, and all that kind of stuff. But the, the whole film is so ridiculous. I mean, like there, there isn't really much of anything in this film that can make an audience go, Ooh, ah, or anything. And so anywho, so now the chase scene, the infamous chase scene, the horrible, like wild E coyote trying to catch the road runner, you know, more effort was put in by Mr. Coyote than this girl trying to catch these two kids because she, she sneaks up on them. Okay. She catches them. She sneaks up on them and they're two children. She, she's right there. She, she's right behind them. All she has to do is just pretty much reach out and grab them. And she, she trips on a chair and the kids turn around and they're like, Oh no, it's, it's the alien woman, you know, and this and that. And they just take stuffed animals and throw them at her and then just, in the most, like, they kind of zigzag around her, and, like, you're sitting here watching it, like, did they really just do that? Like, that's how the, they were going to make the kids outsmart her? And so, yeah, then there's a pretty lengthy chase scene of them going all through SeaWorld and the facility, and I'm talking like whenever I say ridiculous chase scene, it's like she doesn't move very fast at all because she's just simply wearing, she's wearing heels and she's chasing these kids and like they would run up some stairs and they would like just hide behind a pillar or something like that. And she would just run right past them, 
stop about five feet away from the pillar and then just stand there like wringing her hands together and looking around like, oh no, where did they go? I can't find them. And then the kids would just pop out from behind the pillar and take off running. And then she would turn around and be like, oh, there they are. And then go after them again. And that happened a number of times. There, there was a pretty ridiculous scene where they run inside of a small building and she comes up and she climbs like halfway up some stairs and she's only looking like her head is moving back and forth. And she's only looking in like two general directions. And, you know, it just makes you someone like me that grew up playing this game. You know, like, have you have you ever even played hide and seek? Like, do you not know how to properly look for somebody? Like, you know, it's just the direction that they went, like, to say, this is what we want you to do. And this is how we want the kids to hide from you. Like, you couldn't have done better. You had a budget of 35 million yen. You could not have done better with just this right here. Mind you, at this point in time, Gamera has only made, uh, like maybe two or three minutes of screen time. And we're like well over half an hour into the film at this point in time. So yeah. Um, you know, the fight scenes whenever it comes to Gamera and Zegra. You know, at, at the at the least, there there are a lot of kaiju films that you watch. And the human story a lot of times is pretty pretty dull, pretty boring. Because people don't go in to watch the humans. We don't go in to see their drama. We don't go in. That's part of the reason why 2019's King of the Monsters was so, like divisive amongst fans and all of that kind of stuff because you had these big name kaiju Godzilla, Ghidorah, Mothra, Rodan and whenever the fights would be going on you would get to see like maybe two seconds of part of the fight and then it would zoom back over to the humans to see what they're going going through and it would focus on them for like two minutes and then it would go back to the kaiju and you would get like another five or ten seconds of action and then it would go back to the humans and like that's why it was so divisive amongst fans because it's like you have some of the biggest names in kaiju in this film and you were willingly taking our attention away from the kaiju and from the fights and from the destruction just so you can show the little family drama that was going on with the human characters we do not care like, we don't. We do not care about what is going on with the humans. We do not care what their little family drama is. We don't care about their redemption arc or their character development. We do not care. Kaiju fans go to these movies to see kaiju action and destruction. That's what we want to see. Like, and... So, at the very least, you would sit there and think, okay, well, hopefully, at least, the kaiju action in this film is decent. I can assure you, it is not. It's some of the worst kaiju action that I've ever seen in a kaiju movie. Like, a lot of it, you know, takes place underwater. And it literally is just Zegra circling around Gamera and would occasion occasionally come in and chop him with like his very sharp fins and all of that. And then, you know, Gamera figures out like, hey, you're an aquatic monster. Let's just go on ahead and take you out of the water and put you on land. So he takes him out of the water and puts him on land. But lo and behold, you know, plot device, uh, Zegra is able to 
transform into a land form and stands up on its uh, fins and pretty much sprouts legs. And they have a fight and enters another plot hole. Because one of the big things about the movie is that Zegra, you know, they're from another planet and they lived in the oceans and all of that. So they try to make it out that Zegra's big weakness in this film is light because he's been living underwater pretty much throughout his entire existence. He's not been exposed to a whole lot of light or anything like that to the point to where the, the humans go down in a submersible at one point and they shine lights in his eyes and it hurts him and he backs away. And so you're like, okay, he's apparently weak to light. There's only one problem with that. Prior to that scene happening, Zegra had a full-blown battle with Gamera on land during daytime. And it sure didn't seem to bother him all that much. So that was just ridiculous that they decided to throw that in. Or not really that they decided to throw it in. It's the order in which they did it. Like if you were going to make him weak to light, okay, they should have shown the light bulb thing first where it's shining the lights in his eyes and that hurts him. And then whenever Gamera brings him onto land, they should have made it to where like he's uncoordinated or he's just blindly swinging his fins around trying to, you know, make it to where like he can't see. Like that, that would have made a whole lot more sense than uh, what, what we actually got. Um, at one point, you know, um, whenever they go down, they're shining light in his eyes and all that. He just randomly decides, I'm going to take a nap. And, um, you know, Gamera comes down, he rescues the humans and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they have another fight, uh, which, you know, this, this film carried on with the formula that they had had during the initial meeting of Gamera and the, whatever Kaiju it is he's going up against, uh, he loses, gets knocked unconscious or badly damaged or hurt or something like that. And then there's human intervention. He comes back bigger and badder, stronger than ever. And then he's able to overcome his obstacles. So this film absolutely carried on with that tradition of doing that. Um, during the big, like, final climactic fight between him and Zegra, he actually knocks Zegra on, on land. And in one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in a kaiju film is that Gamera picks up a rock and starts hitting Zegra's fins, like his dorsal fins, and it makes different tones, and Gamera literally plays his theme song. You know, Gamera, you know, like that song. The, the literally top ten most annoying songs in existence. But I can't help but you know, hum it or sing it whenever it's being played because it's, it's unbelievably catchy, no matter, no matter how annoying it is to me. And like, I saw that part and I couldn't help it. I just, I just shook my head and I was like, holy mackerel, like really? <laughs> like, <sighs> But yeah, so keep in mind, like I mentioned earlier in the film, this film is primarily targeted at children 
And whenever I say children, you know, children covers like a pretty, it's a wide blanket of a, an age range. You know, when a lot of times when people will say children, you think of anybody from like, you know, age two to about 12 or 13. Some people even think like 14, 15 and stuff like that for children. But this film, like, it's like it aimed specifically at like the age range of about four to about seven. Like, that's how childish this film is. And I feel that in that target audience, going after that particular demographic, this film succeeds. I will say that. Um, in some regards, I will say that it succeeds. And I think of my nephew, who is four years old. If he was to sit here and watch this movie, I think he would be pretty entertained by the children running away from Woman X. I think he would be pretty entertained by Gamera and by Zegra and their battles and their fights and all of that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, there is so much other like dialogue and stuff like that with the film that I believe the the target audience that they went for there's just not enough going on to really capture their attention. Like, and they're going to get bored and they're not going to want to finish the movie. You know, that's just, that's just my personal opinion on that. But after this film was completed and it was getting ready for like distribution and all of that kind of stuff, uh, Daye actually ended up going bankrupt and they filed for bankruptcy. And, one of the reasons for that is because I already talked about they were in big, like, financial trouble prior to this film being made. They had actually formed with another or merged with another company called Nikatsu. And they were going to share the distribution rights and distribution costs and all of that. And after the film was completed or not long before it was completed, Nikatsu backed out. They were like, no, nope, we, we, you know, we're not going to honor the deal. And so now Daye was stuck with a huge financial burden and it just couldn't, it couldn't do it. And so they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, this was the first Gamera film that did not get a theatrical release here in the United States. This is the first Gamera film did, that did not premiere straight to like TV, like not long after it had been re uh, released and an English dub was done and all of that. This film did not get released here in the States. Like, keep in mind, this movie was made in 1971. This film did not get a release in the United States until 1987, whenever it went to VHS and on television. And, like, <sighs> yeah, um, the dub, like I've talked about earlier, the, the English dub for this film is horrible. It is horrible. You think the uh, the lead kids in some of the other Gamera films are annoying? They ain't got nothing on little Kenny that's in this doggone movie. I'll tell you that right now. And, like, it's just... Uh, boy, howdy. But, anywho. So, the film... Daye goes for bankruptcy. The film did not get a theatrical release in the United States. Did not show up here until 1987. And... The darkest days of Gamera were still to come because there is one more movie after this film that was done during the Showa era 
that is the most infamously bad Gamera film. Like, it's, it's, it's laughable. And that film is called Gamera Super Monster that came out in 1980. And I will be doing an episode on that in, uh, you know, a number of weeks. And I will wrap up my Showa-era Gamera episodes that I've been doing. And that pretty much does it for Gamera vs. Zegra that came out in 1971. So, I genuinely wish that I had more production stuff that I could talk about or that I could talk more about the suits and things like that, but I just couldn't find it. So yes, this episode did shift more into like a review and my thoughts on the film, but you know, it is what it is. Um, this is one of my least favorite kaiju films ever made. Like it's, you know, like like I've said, like I love watching cheesy movies. I love watching bad movies and all of that kind of stuff. There are some movies to like, it's so bad, it's good. You know, this film does not fall into that category for me. This film is just straight up bad. It does not make any sense. A lot of the dialogue does not make any sense. A lot of the plot points does not make any sense. The kaiju action is terrible. Well, one one particular scene that I actually liked that I thought was good destruction is whenever Zegra was like uh, going across the uh, the water and you can see like, you know, kind of like Jaws, just the dorsal fin uh, coming out of the water and it runs into a ship and splits the ship in half. I thought that was a very well done and well shot scene of the ship being destroyed. I, I will say that's a memorable thing for me. Uh, so the moon attack and the uh, the ship being destroyed at one point in the film, those are probably the two most memorable kaiju slash destruction moments in the film for me. But other than that, like this film has very little to no redeemable qualities, and I I hate to even say that because you know you hate to to be a big fan of a certain genre of film. And especially a character like Gamera, because I love Gamera. He's one of my top favorite kaiju. But it's it's sad whenever you watch a movie in a genre that you love, with a character that you love, and just everything about the movie is is horrible. And but like like I've said like a little while ago, if you think this one's bad, the one that came after it, like Gamera Super Monster, that is boy <laughs> like i'm uh, um i'm, I'm kind of not looking forward to covering that one but uh i will i will cover it nonetheless so all right guys that pretty much does it for gamera versus zegra that came out in 1971 so um guys as always um i'm i'm going to announce what next week's episode is here momentarily but um as always, thank you guys so much for the follows, for the the likes and subscribes and, and all of that kind of stuff. I very much appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't checked me out on any of my social medias on Facebook, I'm Kaiju Carnage, a Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. Uh, I also have a fan Godzilla account that is just simply called Godzilla Ultima. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about something real quick. Um... I'm starting to, mainly with Godzilla Ultima, I'm starting to get a few spam messages. Like, people just being, like, I don't know if you guys are trying to push my buttons 
or whoever is like trying to, you know, it may not be any of you guys that are, that listen to the podcast. It might just be other people that's just getting on there and trying to be a troll. Um, trolling does not work on me. I am, I am a younger sibling. I am a little brother. Okay. I am a troll. I've been a troll my entire life. You, you, you do not affect me. Like, I mean, that's just, I do not get offended. I do not get, I very rarely do I actually get upset about things like I, and so whenever people start sending me messages and, you know, they're being, they're being stupid or they're acting, acting a fool and saying certain things and all of that kind of stuff that I'm not going to repeat on here and all of that, like seriously, whenever I see that, I open up the message, I chuckle, and then I immediately block you. Because I have no time for that. I have no, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to listen to it. You have zero effect on me. And yeah, that's all it is to it. So um, if anyone out there is thinking about, oh, we're going to play a joke on him and we're just going to spam him or anything like that, you know, I mean, you can, you're, you can give it a shot, but all it's, all it's really going to do is just get you, uh, get you banned slash blocked from the page because I don't, I have zero tolerance for that. And it's not from a being offended kind of thing. It's just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's kind of that, that, that's how you want to play. Okay. Here, play with this. And then bam. So yeah, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, go, go check out those, uh, those Facebook pages. And then on Instagram and TikTok, I am Cal, the Kaiju guy on YouTube. I am also Cal, the Kaiju guy. And I just recently released a new episode on there. It was another simultaneous recording um, of my weekly Kaiju Havoc on Wednesday, as well as a unboxing of some Godzilla versus Kong figures that after, if you listen to the podcast on here, after that, after that podcast ended, I went on for about another five or 10 minutes of the video on doing an unboxing of some Godzilla versus Kong figures. So if you want to check that out, by all means, go do so. And again, the YouTube channel is called Cal the Kaiju Guy, and I'm looking at expanding that and doing a little bit more reviews and actual podcast episodes and things like that on YouTube that might have different content on there as far as the podcast is concerned versus what I'm going to be doing on here. So just letting you guys know that. If you guys uh, don't mind, go check out the YouTube. Uh, I would very much appreciate it. So now, next week, at the time of this recording, a week from today, I am going to be covering a very nostalgic um, entry into the Godzilla franchise, and that is the Godzilla Hanna-Barbera cartoon show that ran from 1978 to uh, 1979. Um you know, I used to watch the Hanna-Barbera cartoon whenever I was younger. I would catch it whenever I could. I've got the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla uh, figure, limited figure from Mondo, and I love it. And yeah, so if you guys, um, if you loved the 1978 Godzilla, fil um, Godzilla series as much as I did, then, you know, get ready. And also letting everybody know, speaking of television series, I just recently made a purchase and bought a whole bunch of King Kong animated stuff. Like I got the animated, um, an animated musical retelling of the 1933 original, which is just called the mighty Kong. And then I got the entire series to Kong, the animated series, the animated film Kong King of Atlantis, and then the animated film, uh, Kong return to the jungle, I believe is what it's called. 
And, um, yeah, so I'm going to be covering all of that Kong stuff eventually one day. So if you liked any of the King Kong animated stuff, and eventually I will get the, the old animated Kong stuff that was done by Rankin and Bass. And, um, yeah, so, uh, get ready for all of that kind of stuff. But anywho, next week, a week from today, Godzilla, the 1978 Hanna-Barbera series, Again, thank you all for all the love and support. I love each and every one of you. We are knocking very, very close on 9,000 total listens. Keep in mind, my goal for this year was 10,000 total listens, so I'm only just barely over 1,000 away. And thank you guys so much for helping me hit that milestone. Love each and every one of you. We'll catch you all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy, signing out.